It's a creative part of the brain. Yeah, let's How's everyone going? Good, good, still good. So today we're talking uh, myth busting. We're going back to the myth buster series, just for, just for tonight. It's meant to be about uh, myth busting, poverty and injustice, but um, we're not going to get to the injustice part. So sorry about that, but we'll, 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 cover, some of the, we'll cover some of the poverty. Um, Okay, and the myth I want to try and disperse or bust tonight, and I'm going to just get it right out there now, is that, an, that the myth is that an image tells the story. An image tells a story. So by one image, by looking at someone, that that tells you the story about that person, and that's the myth that I want to try and bust to, uh, this afternoon. Because uh, we, you know, the way we brought up, you know, we see someone with a nice car and we think, Nice car, rich, you know, affluent. Someone with a crappy car, you think, not that I'd think that way, but some other <laughs> people might. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, um, I've, <laughs> I've heard people say that, you know, within three seconds, you can, you can, in your own mind, build a picture of someone just by their car, their, what they're wearing, and their mobile phone. And to me, that sounds crazy, but, you know, we probably do it in our subconscious without even realising it. Okay, so when we think of poverty, do you, um, what do you think of dull bludgers? This is um, very Aussie, dull bludger here. It's, <laughs> it's extremely Aussie. Now, this is, this is a, a setup. It's not even a real picture. It's not a real person who's on the dole. Um, that money's been superimposed in later on. He's a, he's a paid actor. It's not, it's not actually real, but because he's at Centrelink and there's money there, we get a, a picture in our mind that he's just there for the one reason, don't we? Yeah. So that might, have been, that might be something that you've heard um, everyone on the dole is a dole bludger, and we know that pretty much isn't true, that not everyone who's on the dole is a, is a dole bludger. Dole bludger. Now, this is from the Urban Dictionary. Anyone familiar with the Urban Dictionary? Yeah. It's quite a fun read. And if you put in that dole was spelled right. Yeah. It's not spelled right. Oh, D-O-L-E, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's a great pickup. This is not what it is. <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? That's a great dictionary. It is, it is, it is. Well... You're not going to see Dole in the, you know, the Oxford, are you? you know, you're only going to see it in the urban. So, a widespread Australian term used in some other parts of the world. It, has a negative, it, it is a negative term referring to those who live on government welfare payments without any good cause. They refuse to find jobs. They refuse to find jobs. 
and are known for living in poor socioeconomic conditions. A dull bludger is a waste of taxpayers' money and they are those individuals who are born with, leisurely, with a leisurely personality and sheer laziness. I like this, hashtag bogan, hashtag dull, hashtag bludger, hashtag lazy, hashtag cheap. <laughs> Some of the richest people are cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you might have you might have heard of this one before. That um, and and I know that my I've thought like this. That it's just a decision. All you need to do is work hard to get yourself out of poverty. It's just a choice. And I know this is slightly overlapping, um, Beck's discussion and and Michelle's um, talk last week as well. That it's as if it's just a simple choice to make. That you're in poverty and it's it's because you chose that or because you're not working hard enough. Do you know what I mean? You're not giving yourself those opportunities. Some people do believe that everyone has the same opportunities, but um, others take those opportunities and others don't. So I'm just gonna give you a little insight into my story. I really hate talking about myself, but whatever. So I grew up, <laughs> I grew up with a, with a mum and dad, you know, and uh, it, it, was, it was fine up until I think I was seven. Dad was a car salesman, a quite successful one, and he used to uh, continuously win these trips with um, uh, Holden um, for selling the most cars in, in Victoria and or the country or something, I'm not sure, but he got flown out to Japan a number of times um, winning these the most sold cars. So he'd come home and we'd be the, I was the first kid around to play with those uh, Scalectrics sort of things. This is before the ads were on TV or anything like that. We had this set at home and it was just, you know, it was just unreal. So, but dad was an alcoholic. So that ended up kind of messing things up a bit. And he'd, he'd wake up um, on the couch and it'd all be wet where he'd been sleeping. And I still love the guy to pieces because he was dad, do you know what I mean? So I wanted to hang out with him as much as I could, but I didn't realise what was happening, you know, in the background being a seven year old. I used to go to school um, drunk sometimes because I was watching dad drink and I thought that was an okay thing to do. So um, eventually the teachers caught, um, caught on to what I was doing because they got close enough to smell my breath and you know they had to call my parents in and all this sort of gear because I was drinking those big steel cans that dad would leave in the fridge. I just thought, that's what you do. Dad does it, I'll, I'll, I want to do it. Um, so I wasn't taught that that was the wrong thing. So up until mum and dad um, parted, life was, well, it was kind of okay with the mum and dad apart from drinking, going to school and stuff. So. <laughs> there is that. But when, when Dad was out of the picture, life took a, just a sudden turn, like a, a, a sharp turn. So we'd go from going away to um, Eildon and Bermagui for family holidays to no family holidays, no holidays at all. Mum moving every single year because she was a single parent, trying to keep three of us uh, all together. We were fostered out at different times when she couldn't manage or she was sick, had to go to hospital. We'd have to go you know, elsewhere. So, and the, the reason I, I guess I want to, uh, I'm saying this is because um, really through no fault of, of my own, I was in, quite comfortable and then the next minute we were, we were sort of in poverty. Poverty is a, a strange term in Australia because even though we were poor or we were living in poverty, in Australia there's still a bunch of safety nets that are around, that um, we're quite lucky to have. So um, 
if you were to ask me, did you know where your next meal was coming from? Um, I did, but often that meal would, would have been Salvo's, um, St Vinnie's, um, and those sort of services would help out when mum couldn't, couldn't manage. So we always knew that there was going to be a meal, just at times didn't know where that meal was coming from. And so the poverty in Australia looks a little bit different to what it can look like in other parts of the world. You know what I mean? We're quite lucky that we've got that, that safety net around us. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that people are not in poverty who are relying on those services. It just means that we've got some of those safety nets that other people in other countries don't necessarily have. You follow? Okay, so I want to put this slide up. This is a guy called Kevin Carter. Anyone heard of this guy, Kevin Carter, before? I've, I've mentioned him once <clears throat> before. He's a photographer. Um, in, he's a South African photographer. <clears throat> and um, he was... A group of these photographers used to work together and they kind of um, help each other and egg each other on, if you like. They were good, close friends in South Africa and they'd fly all over South Africa to try and take some amazing shots. But what they were, what they were actually doing was they were um, hired by their newspaper um, or they'd freelance for newspapers and try and get some incredible images out in the public forum so to expose what was happening in Africa at the time. So this guy, Kevin Carter, would put himself um, in harm's way quite often. He'd go to war-torn war countries and a couple of his images, uh, I'm not sure if you remember one back in the, um, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, you, there was an African man who was um, on fire and he was also being macheted at the same time. This won a big, big prize. I'm not going to show that one. This won a massive prize because the world hadn't seen anything like that. You'd hear stories, but you don't, you wouldn't have necessarily seen that sort of imagery. So this was his speciality, that he would put himself in harm's way to get the images. So he was often at risk of being shot because he would try and get right as close as he could to get the, to get the image. Now this guy took this shot here. Remember this one? It's called Struggling Girl. You, don't, you haven't seen that one before? So this is... Um, This is in, uh, give me two seconds. The, okay, so the, the story is here that um, this young child here was um, struggling to walk and would fall, would fall down. And she'd walk a little further um, and, and she'd fall down again. And, the vulture behind was, was doing the same thing, would just, just keep that same distance because the vulture was looking, obviously, for... That's what they, they do, they're clean-up agents. And so um, what had happened was that he, he won a prize for this called the Pulitzer... Um, how do you say? Pulitzer. Pulitzer Prize in 1993. And he... I mean, this image here was on the, the front of the, um, the New York Times newspaper and it went, it just engulfed the whole world. No one had seen anything like this before, up until then. I'm just trying to think of the country. Sudan, that's it, Sudan. So South Sudan. So with, with photography, um, what you can do is, oh, if I wanted to take a picture of Mick, um, I'd hold up the camera, take a picture of Mick, and I'd want to use a long lens if I wanted to just get Mick in the picture. Okay, so 
And if I put the picture up of Mick, you would see, you know, Mick. But you wouldn't see you guys sitting in the room if you're using a longer lens, because you zoom, you zoom right in, and what that does is that, that narrows your vision. Instead of you, you seeing like this, which we all do, it narrows our vision like this and pulls Mick in closer. Now, what had happened was that after this shot had been taken, not only did um, Kevin put um, Sudan, South Sudan, on the map, people didn't even know it was a country, but he really put it on the map by by putting this shot on there. But a lot, of what, a lot of what happened was that in his press conference after winning the prize, the, all people wanted to know, have a guess. What happened to the child? What did you do with the child? What did you do? Because that's what you see, you know? You can't see anything else that's going on around. All you see is that, is that child and that bird. And so it's a, it's a fair enough question what happened to the child. So he, um, the, the, the outcry in the West was just incredible to this guy. And uh, three months after he won the prize, he took his own life. But he put, he put Sudan on the map. He was, and just to give you a, a little bit of perspective, what was happening outside this, this, this vision here, his mother was just up here. She was on her way to, uh, a plane had landed to give them food. So she was on her way to get the food because she had to get in there first to get some food, right? The child was trying to keep up with the mum but couldn't keep up with the mum. See, no one knew that. There were also rebel soldiers on either side as well with machine guns. See, no one knew that either. If he had have interfered and tried to, to, to grab the child, he probably would have put himself really in harm's way. He was flown in by the government of Sudan to show the world what was happening. And no one could understand that. All they wanted to know was what's happening here. Sometimes, sometimes an image tells a story, sometimes it doesn't. It tells, it tells a particular story, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. It's just a very narrow view of what was going on at the time. Can you see this? It's a little bit hard to see. Uh, this is the... Um, that's in Melbourne, I believe, and that's an Apex gang, and they're, they're being um, sprayed with um, pepper spray. So what comes to mind when you think of Apex, Apex gangs? Banding together and... What comes to mind? Sudanese boys. Yeah, yeah. Now that you know that story of, of that struggling girl, does that change that image just slightly? Or not at all? Does that give you a little bit of perspective of where these guys have come from and what they've had to struggle with? But have some of them come from there? The Sudanese kids, yeah. That's, South Sudan's... Yeah, South Sudan's always been... Uh, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, I get you. The, the, the kids that are born here. I'm more talking about the kids that have come from South Sudan. Have come from there, or some of them I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Now, that doesn't give them a free pass. All I'm trying to show you is there's more to that image than meets the eye. Okay? I've, had, I've been home invaded before, you guys all know that, and it's a terrible thing. It wasn't by the Apex gang, but still 
it's just terrible and they you know what they get up to they don't get a pass at all in fact they should face the um we don't really have a rehabilitation system here but we have a what do we call it just a criminal justice system so it's not quite but 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 anyway yeah all right play first video now <laughs> i knew i'd forget no i knew i'd forget so here we go uh, so i was trying to break a little bit of a myth there that um, i'm sure we all know that people can change people can change and some beautiful people can come out of sedan as well so what I wanted to do was um, to ask the question to discuss amongst yourselves for a moment. Um, discuss how you feel. Uh, sorry. Discuss. Discuss how you feel. So it's a little bit of a, a turn here. Discuss how you feel or think when you see poor people on the street. You know, you're walking past them. I was on the train the other day and coming back from a concert and this guy had a, a Tupperware container with a burnt hole in it and he was, he was doing that. <laughs> he's doing the collection, you know, as he's walking through the train. I hadn't seen that before. Or people on, you know, Flinders Street and um, they've got the hat there. They're not doing, they're not performing, but they, they're asking for cash. Talk in small groups how that makes you feel. How does it make you feel comfortable, uncomfortable? What, what emotions and feelings comes up when when um, when you're faced with that. Is everyone okay with that? So, um, what are some of the things that um, have come out of the, the second question there? If, if, if anyone's got the courage. I know it's hard, it's, um, it's a tough thing to talk about. Who are the poor? It's and a good question. It's a good question. Mm. Sometimes it's harder to see, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to see, other times it's hard to see. Yeah. Anyone else got, um, can share what might help, what might keep us from helping the poor? Yeah, that's a fantastic one. That's a pretty. That's a pretty common one, isn't it? I think also that we were just talking about um, the fact that in Australia, with the welfare system, you, you don't, you know, poverty exists, but you don't see it like you do in other countries without welfare, where poverty exists outside the yeah, gate. Yeah. Every day we walk past it, but yeah, here yeah. it's there. It's smattering. It seems to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's present, but not yeah. overt. Yeah. 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 I think in Australia it's yeah. a much bigger case of injustice because of our financial economic system. So Thank you. Because of those safety nets we have in place. Yeah. We have 
Yeah. Well, I think it's relative, though. That, that um, I think it is relative. I mean, well, you. Well, speaking of those, I can't remember the actual stat. I think it was something like thirty-five or forty-five percent of Australians are one patient away from having cancer. Mm -hmm. and I, I How many percent? I can't. It was higher. It's more than forty. Yeah, it might have been higher. I can't remember the exact Look, I, I remember um, as a teenager and out of school, I was unskilled, but I was fit, I was healthy, I was strong. I could go into the uh, CES, I think they called it back then, and, you could, and I could look at the different jobs on the board and pick, um, and this is going to sound pretty arrogant, pick six and um, go for all of them if I could be bothered. And over the weekend, I could decide which job I actually wanted to do. And some of those jobs were were pretty good. One of the jobs I landed was doing these um, shop fronts. I was completely up, unskilled, untrained, putting in all this aluminium stuff. Like for walking into the CS to a week later, I was getting paid the same wage as a carpenter and respected on the job sites as a carpenter as well with the whole um, gear and, and setup and all the tools. And I didn't know what I was doing, but you know. And, and, but things change. Like remember, um, what's his name? Paul, um, Paul, after. Paul Keating came out with that famous line, this is the recession that we had to have. Is that what he said? This is the recession we had to have. And all of a sudden there was a whole bunch of work out there and then it just really dried up. I got married and my boss, the shopfront boss, came to the wedding and he's having a good time, you know, dancing and eating. And I didn't know this, but he'd already decided to let me go. I was the only person who didn't have kids um, with, in, his, in his team. So I came back from my honeymoon and lost, lost my job. And I was going to the CES every day, getting the sun, getting the age every single day. And Beck, how hard is it to get work at times? It's really hard. And you know, you've, you're uber smart. Do you know what I mean? And I, I had no training back then. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. 
So I talked to a bunch of people, no one in Kaleidoscope, because I wanted it to be outside of Kaleidoscope. I talked to a bunch of people as to what they would think would stop them from, from helping if they could. Some of the, and I also um, spoke with um, World Vision. So one of, the, um, one of the answers was that God hasn't told me to do anything. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, God hasn't told me to do anything. Like there's not enough in here. <laughs> that you have to hear that still small voice to, to do something. Anyway, um, other people think, and, and I, th I think that to a degree these, these things are um, myths, my little won't do anything. The little bit I give won't do anything. And there's so much out there. What's my little two cents going to do? I'll come back to that. Yeah, if a lot of people do a little bit. As well, um, and the other one that um, is around World Vision, uh, people think that admin gets most of the funds before they go overseas. So it's funny. I spoke to World Vision, and have a guess how much um, goes overseas and how much they keep. You might be surprised. It's eighty-one percent um, goes directly to on the field. Yeah, to pay for admin. Yeah, that's and I thought I was uh, surprised by that. Yeah, and that, that's actually a big issue. Um, yeah, that's a big issue. And I'm not going to get, there's, there's a lot to dive into with, with, that, with that particular one. Yeah. So I want to wrap up in a, in a, in a moment. Um, an, another big one is the, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I definitely noticed this, uh, probably because I watch too much CNN and Fox and I'm flipping around because I'm following that, that Trump stuff going on. But the amount of, the amount of... The, <laughs> The amount of terrible things that are on the news is just unbelievable. Like it is, it is so much. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, I didn't know it was a thing, but it's an actual thing. Okay, so um, it's called. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know that it, this was a, a problem, but it is a problem. So um, there's a, um, a psychologist, and her name is Dr. Gail Saltz, and she had some advice if you've ever if you've ever felt compassion. Fatigue, and I found it quite helpful for myself, so I'm going to share this. That um, take time to relax and practice breathing. And I know it sounds silly, but does it sound silly? Take time to relax. Um, let your friends distract you. So purposely bring up your friends or hang out with your friends and let them distract you from overloading. Okay. Are you watching too much bad news, you know, like me? And if you are... Uh, can you control or dial back a little bit the news that, that's coming in? 
So what's happening is that um, she's saying that um, because we're so connected with our devices and with our TVs, and it's always there, you've got a particular news feed. Mick's got a particular news feed. Trudy's got a particular news feed. And it's the same news feed. Do you know what I mean? Because it's the things we like, it's the things we want to see. So if we're, if we're dialed into that bad news all the time, we've got to dial that back a little bit or change our news feed up a little bit or just do, she said, suggested, do some in the morning and do, do some in the evening. Um, she said to participate in life and try and contribute and do something positive. Okay? All right. But there's, there's something more than just compassion fatigue. There's yeah. also uh, an overload where you actually go numb to it. So yes. It, you know, it's like the, the yeah. violence where we're totally yeah. au fait yeah. with yeah. the levels That's of it. violence that we never used to be. Mm. You know, um, mm. all sorts of stuff yeah. which comes again. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I made that one up, so I don't know what it's actually called. Yeah, is it? You turn off. Yeah. 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 You, could it almost be like a, a, a borderline depression, but not really, because, you know, with, with the... So the only reason I, I mentioned the depression thing is because when we talk about depression, depression is something that it's like it's out of our control. Is that what? And if we've got too much of this information coming in, we can't do we can't do anything about everything. Do you know what I mean? We can do something about a little bit, but you almost feel like you know what you're saying. Numb. You can't. You know what can you do? All right. So just quickly moving on because I want to I want to finish up. What does God say about all this stuff? There's a tough one. What does God say about all this stuff? So I, I, I'm not going to say I know exactly what God says about this stuff, but I'll, I'll point out one or two things. God's always been keen on helping people that um, are less fortunate. In the Old Testament, they had a thing where, correct me if I'm wrong there, uh, that the harvesters would harvest the fields, like the crops, the grapes, the, the veggies, whatever they were harvesting. And there was kind of this law that, uh, that you, if something fell on the ground, just leave it. Because people who were poor would come up later on and they called it gleaning. Mm -hmm. And they would come and glean and then that would give them sort of something 
to eat. And that was, that was a law. So God's keen on helping those who are less fortunate or not as wealthy as, as those, balancing out just, just a, a smidgen. And coming to Tim's point, if mm. everyone did that, mm. so there was enough. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah. just up to one person to do that. Yeah. Because if everyone did it, yeah. Everyone did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess the, what's interesting is that people, atheists, um, one of the pushback arguments against God is that if God's real, why is there starving people on the planet? Do you know what I mean? And like, honestly, that's, that to me is a valid argument. And that's part of where this series is coming from about um, God of justice, just people, that we're going to read the Good Samaritan. And I think that the Good Samaritan's about, you know, people stepping in to God's space and helping be God's hands and feet to help those who can't necessarily help themselves. So let's quickly read it and I'm going to finish. Anyone want to read it? It's uh, Luke 10. Do you want me to read it? I knew Sammy wasn't coming. I was going to get a voiceover to do it for me. But um, <laughs> is that... <laughs> okay. So the Good Samaritan, everyone knows this story, the Good Samaritan. Do you mind if I read it again? Okay, Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus, asking him a question. This question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, what do you mean? Who is my neighbour? This is the, the New Living Translation. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Really, really powerful story. And sometimes it's, what gets overlooked is the because um, it's about the good samaritan it's about you know the man and jesus using a, 
an illustration or a story to tell a picture, to really drive home a point. Like Kevin's photo of the vulture and the child. They didn't have pictures that back then, they had stories with imagery. And this was Jesus' way to really confront and shock people who were listening to actually wake up and do something, particularly the religious leaders. So I was, I was on Google trying to find a picture of the Good Samaritan and I came across this one. There's a, there's a story behind it. So if you can see, there's the, that's the um, Jewish man on the way to Jericho and that's the Good Samaritan without a, without a face. I'm not really sure what that is. And these are eggs on a tree and the guy doesn't have a head. <laughs> I'm not sure. I've got the... I've got the I've got the name there. This, <laughs> he looks pretty toned, doesn't he? <laughs> Is it a, it's a guy. He looks pretty toned. But what we what sometimes we what sometimes we miss out on is that it's about the Good Samaritan, and it is about the Good Samaritan. But what about the guy on the side of the road? Like we've got the hindsight of knowing that the guy was beaten up and left half dead, right? In the story, for example, those people walking past, they didn't know that. They'd have no idea why the guy was on the side of the road. They wouldn't have known the backstory. They might have been a little bit like us. Is he putting the show on? Do you know what I mean? Is this some sort of scam? And it's a valid question. That might have been what they were, what they were grappling with. But someone, someone, the Good Samaritan, he decided that he'd be, how do you say it, vulnerable? How do you say it? Vulnerable. vulnerable. There's some people out there that tell me I say it wrong and, you know... You're trying to talk about being vulnerable and they're, they're all these speech Nazis out there and all of a sudden you're not talking about vulnerable anymore, you're talking about, you know, you're not saying vulnerable properly. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they've tried many, many times. <laughs> I break out of that camp every, every time. Hmm. Let me read this, um, the... The story about this picture and then I'm going to finish with um, a, a one minute video and then Grant's going to tidy it, uh, pray, pray with us and say goodnight. Okay. The painting called The Good Samaritan. The common perception of what is good or bad could be tricky depending on what culture you're in. When we approach by someone that seems so strange to us, even if, if this person has the best intentions, it could cause a negative response that could either turn rude or scary. My idea of being a good Samaritan is not the one being shown on TV, movies or other mediums. My interpretation, I clearly illustrated, is a strange being that we might find scary or intimidating. But how a good Samaritan looks shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be on our actions, not our looks. If we we should be able to sense who brings peace, love, good intentions, to assist and help someone in need. The Samaritan in my painting is showing the captivity to give, the capacity to give everything he has to offer to the poor man in distress. Each egg, which is on, on the branches, each egg represents a part of his soul, heart and possession. Even though he does not look like much, his actions are being praised and admired in the heavens. Every time he acts with kindness towards his fellow man, the doors of heaven are wide open and the living things will rejoice 
with music and song. That's his illustration of the picture. I'm just going to finish with this second video.